So the willpower gap is when we have a certain threshold for the number of decisions we need to make. And when we start to hit up against that number of decisions we can make, our willpower declines rapidly. Welcome to this functional life. It's your host, Betty Murray. It is time to get geeky, where I step away from the interviews and give you some brain candy science in bite-sized pieces in a way that's easy for you to understand. It's going to be me and you today, and in these short, targeted episodes, I'm going to bring you personal insights, frequently asked questions, and the topic du jour in a more quick and actionable way. I go all out with the geeky, wrap it up with a bow, and share some sass, as always. This is all for you to live an exceptional life. Let's get started with this functional life. Welcome back to This Functional Life. We're going to do something a little different today. I was having this fabulous conversation yesterday with one of my clients, Michelle. There's so much just juicy nuggets out of that conversation that I really felt that I needed to share this with the community. And so what we were talking about is why we self-sabotage. Why do we set forth with a goal and set forth with a plan? to take care of something, do something, change our diet, exercise, start doing self-care, go to bed earlier, you know, stay off social media, whatever it is that we decide to do, why do we somehow or another self-sabotage? Put it another way, we make an intention to do something and we fail to follow through. Now, all of us kind of feel like we're the only ones that do that. Everybody else is perfect. Everybody else has their perfect life and they make their perfect smoothies and make their perfect salads on Instagram, but I can't seem to get my proverbial SH together, right? So here's the thing. Every single one of us fails to follow through on some kind of goal. I would say probably several times a day, maybe a little bit more so or less so than others, but all of us do that. So this is universal, right? And I think as women, we internalize a lot of these choices in a way that becomes habituated and it leads to shame cycles and it leads to feelings of inadequacy and overwhelm, which then fuels all these underlying reasons why we self-sabotage. So I'm going to talk about what Michelle's conversation was with me and what we kind of came to and what came out of it. So the first thing that I think about when I think about why, you know, why as women do we live in a, in a land of stress and overwhelm? I guess I need to back up here and just really be honest. I'm talking about gender roles in societal roles, particularly in a Western environment, right? So maybe different in different cultures, but what I'm going to talk about right now is just generalized gender roles as a female role. And so I I don't want to offend anybody on whether someone feels they, they don't have that role or it doesn't apply to them, but I'm going to speak in generalities because this is something I've universally seen over the last 17 years working with tens of thousands of women. And so I know this to be at least the vast majority of us have this experience. So as women, what, what's unique about being a female role over the millions of years we've been on the planet as something that looks somewhat human? So the first thing we have to remember, all the way back to even hunter-gatherer societies, there was a delineation of labor. The male, so the physical males, in many cases, in most tribes, they were the ones that went out and hunted. So they spend long periods of time out on the hunt with a single focus, a single attention. Their job was to go kill something and bring it back. The females would actually be responsible for everything else. 
They took care of the home, whether it was a cave or a shack or some sort of tented sort of environment. Their job was to make sure the home was taken care of, the children were fed and cared for and didn't you know, run off, get hurt or get killed. And their job was to forage for other food. And so we had to multitask or at least pay attention to different things significantly intertwined over time every single day. We also play a very significant role in societies and communities. Women tend to also be the culture fit and the community caregiver to hold the cohesion of the tribe together. So even though the male counterparts may have hunted together and all those other things, social cohesion is predominantly a female experience. Females are more likely to help find compromise and help find a group solution that works. So our job is to also be in support of an entire community. So why is that important to what we do with self-sabotage? So I like to think of it this way. Often as women, we are a satellite that circulates around the center planet or whatever that is that we're taking care of. That center planet may be a spouse or a partner. That center planet may be our children. It may be an ailing parent. It may be a million things. But as women, we tend to be this satellite that circulates around everybody else. And we sort of reach in and take care of everything for everybody else. And then if there's a little tiny morsel of something that flies back out, that might be something good for us, maybe we take care of it. And maybe we get that energy back. But at the end of the day, we are circulating in support of other people. So why is that important? One of the things that we know is that we're spending all this energy, right? So your physical, mental, emotional, spiritual energy, we all have a threshold for that. We all have a certain container that that energy is in. So when we're taking care of everybody else, we're pushing this energy out from our body. It's almost like a you can pick a color and you can pick a vibration and that that energy is expanding out, out to everybody else. So I want you to take a moment and just think, how many people am I passing my energy to on a daily basis? Is it my children? Is it my partner? Is it my work? Is it my coworkers? Is it my girlfriends? Is it my extended family, my friends, my ex-partner, my goal that I want to achieve? Think about how much energy you put out in the world. And then I want you to take a moment and think about how much energy you receive back. So some of us may have some very lovely relationships where we have a lot of incoming energy from other people that maybe helps match that. But I know from speaking to tens of thousands of women over the last 17 years, much of us feel as if our energy is this outward expression and this outward energy expanding and expanding and expanding and expanding and expanding. And by the end of the day, we feel drained because it's kind of like we're a light bulb and we keep trying to brighten our light to try and light up everything within our sphere. And the next day when our sphere gets a little bit wider, we try to brighten a little bit more and we just feel drained by it. Why is that important? So I have an energy therapist that I've worked with for years that works in our office and I love her. Her name is Susan. She's amazing. And she said something to me one day that I think is profound. So why this applies particularly to women that struggle with weight loss and other things. I think there's an energetic component here. We have an energy body, right? So we have an energy body. A matter of fact, an EKG and EEG and MRI is actually reading, not the physical part of the body, but it's reading your 
energy. So we have an energy body that vibrates within us and vibrates outside of us, right? So that's the energy body that's expanding. How do you know you have an energy body? So have you ever had somebody walk up behind you and they didn't touch you, they didn't say anything to you, but you felt them, right? You could feel their energy kind of colliding with yours. So your hair maybe stood up on the back of your neck. Maybe you just were like, oh my gosh, somebody's behind me. So we have an energy body, right? And so this energy body both is there in a vibrational capacity, but it also has a mental, emotional, spiritual component, whatever you want to call it. And that's the part that expands. Well, my friend Susan said to me one day, Betty, the further your energy body expands, in order to ground you, your physical body must expand to meet that need. I'm going to say that one more time. So as I expand and take on more and more responsibility for more and more people and more and more things. Our bodies need to feel center and grounded. We need to feel like we are tethered to the planet and we have a base. The body's physical body is going to expand to meet those needs. So what does that mean? Often, one of the things that may be holding us back from getting to our goals, if it's to slim our waistline, lose body fat, and feel good in our body, may very well be a piece of it is an energetic expansion that we've been doing because we have been satelliting everybody in our sphere to try and take care of everybody else's needs. And our body is going to need to stay grounded by adding additional weight and adding additional grounding capacity so you could meet other people's needs, right? So that expansion and that satelliting of people becomes a very big issue and becomes a very big piece of what we're looking at. So that's the first thing is we need to explore what our outward energy is and how much our physical body may be demanded to expand to meet that need. The other thing that we tend to do is while we're expanding our physical body, it's almost as if we're wearing a backpack. And every time we come across something that we think might be valuable, we throw it in our backpack, we pick up a new tool, we pick up a new experience, we pick up a new thing, and we tend to carry it around. So we carry this very large backpack to help others, our family, our children, our spouses, or the parents we may be caring for. So we're also carrying this gigantic Santa-sized backpack that we keep shoving crap into because we might need it. So we are also this crazy sort of pack rat hoarder of other people's stuff and other things and other tools that we carry around just in case we may need it. So that brings me to my next step. So I've got an outward energy. I've also got a backpack that I'm filling of things that I may need at some time, usually for somebody else that I'm carrying. The other thing is in the research, this is very clear. We have a certain capacity for decisions, right? And it's called the willpower gap and decision fatigue. So everybody has a different capacity for our ability to put up with crap. Everybody has a friend, right? And it may be you that you're like, your threshold for stress is very low, right? So maybe you're the canary in the cage and you're like, okay, if things aren't going my way and I have more than three things that show up that were unexpected, I just feel like I'm coming apart. Right. So your threshold for deal with it is maybe a little bit smaller. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. You were wired, and we know this genetically, for a smaller container of things that go adversely in your day. Now, other people, and I happen to unfortunately be one of these people, I have a very high threshold for crap. So that means I have a very high threshold 
for things intersecting what I want to have happen. So I have a high threshold for problem solving and adding stuff to my plate and taking care of others. So we all have a threshold and we have to kind of know our threshold. So going back to the backpack, if I have a little tiny, you know, 10 year old size backpack, I can't shove 45, 50 years of crap into that backpack and carry it around and expect to feel good, right? Or expect to have that energy to put towards some of the decisions I want to make because I'm carrying too much weight. And if I have a gigantic backpack, I'm still going to run into my threshold, right? So the next concept is threshold. We all have a certain threshold for stuff. And that threshold is different at different seasons of our life. So I may have a better capacity when I'm 20 and 30 to put up with stuff than I do at 45 and 50. I may have a better capacity maybe when I'm in a better financial situation and and better lifestyle situation. So depending on what's going on in your life, your threshold also may shift because your resources shift. So we have a threshold. So why I'm talking about these is the, the most important thing is a thing they call the willpower gap. So the willpower gap is when we have a certain threshold for the number of decisions we need to make. And when we start to hit up against that number of decisions we can make, our willpower declines rapidly. Okay, so what is a decision? So a lot of people will go, well, gosh, if I have some big decisions to make, maybe I want a new career, maybe I want to go back to school, maybe I need a spousectomy because I'm in an environment and a relationship I don't need to be in, maybe I need to figure out what my new vacation is going to be. That's a decision. But we have a billion other decisions we make all day long. So just getting up, getting out of bed, and selecting the outfit you wear could add up, depending on the woman, to hundreds of decisions before you get out the door. So back in 1900, so we're talking 120 some odd years ago, the average woman made about 147 to 157 decisions in a day. We didn't have a closet full of 45 different pairs of black shoes. And you know you do, right? You know you do. You have so many different black shoes or so many different clothes or so many different even makeup choices. So every decision that we make is one of those decisions that starts to eat away from that threshold. So if I'm sitting and thinking about all these other things and I'm having to make a bunch of decisions every day and I start adding other people's decisions on top of it, I'm going to have a threshold that I may hit earlier or later in the day. So let me give you another example of that. Your decisions are your own, but I need you to think for a moment how many decisions you make for other people because you've allowed them to not have to make those decisions, or you step in and made the decisions because they can't do it as well as you do, or you make decisions because you want to control the outcome of everything happening in your world because that makes you feel comfortable, or you take on the decisions for other people because maybe they're in a position where they can't, won't, or just are going to fight back with you. So your decisions are not just yours. They're also the other ones that you make for other people. So what the statistics show is when we wake up in the morning, we say, okay, today, at the end of the day, I'm going to work out and I'm going to go home and I'm going to cook a healthy meal. And then my decision tree starts and I get to work and I start making decisions and I'm making decisions for my family. And most of us probably have a threshold till about two o'clock in the afternoon. And then I hit threshold on my decisions. So here's what gets interesting. When we hit decision fatigue, is when our emotional limbic system, so we have the logic part of our brain that is located really in the frontal lobe that makes decisions. That's where you think all your decisions are being made. That's the one that weighs and pros and cons and looks at 
extrapolating out. If I make this decision, how is this going to go? Problem solve. I hate to break it to you. Most of your decisions are not made by that person. It is made by your limbic system and the reptilian part of your brain that all it cares about is eating, going to the bathroom, safety, and sex. And most of the time as women, that sex one gets dropped because all the other stuff is stressing us out. So your decisions then, when you hit that willpower gap, start to lean heavily on the limbic system, which is a communication conduit where the emotions arise that drive subconscious choices. And so it's a lot of things that are not under your conscious control. So how does that look? You hit threshold at two o'clock, maybe at three o'clock, you're wandering through the office looking for who's got the cookies, candy, or other things that you may eat. Maybe your girlfriend sends you a little message and says, hey, happy hour today. What do you think? Maybe the next one is, I was planning on cooking dinner for my family and it was going to be healthy, but you know what? I'm so tired. I'm so irritated and I'm so done. I'm going to stop by a fast food joint and I'm picking up food because mama doesn't feel like cooking. So our willpower gap is being used up by other things. And that willpower gap is a challenge because we have to start doing other things with it. So when we look at that frontal lobe and that executive function, and you know, I like to call it the PhD in the front of your brain that knows how to explain every possible answer to every question and comes up with every possible you know, scenario of problem, it's also the one that can negotiate in reason good and bad choice away. So when that limbic system kicks in and your emotions kick in and the subconscious starts to drive what we think is comfort. So when those things start to kick in, that reptilian part of your brain that cares about some very basic stuff kicks in, we then seek comfort. So that comfort may be foods. It may be anything you're addicted to. It could be comfort. It could be hitting Amazon. It could be hitting social media and spending an hour getting lost in you know, Instagram stories. It could be any of those things. But what that does is causes distraction and comfort. We get a dopamine hit. We get a little bit of emotional feed. The limbic system gets fed what it needs and we feel great. So what's really happening there are two different things. One's called top-down processing and the other one's called bottom-up. Top-down processing is the decision-making that comes from the frontal lobe. It's all your reasoning and your logic. And I know how many carbs and fats and proteins are in that meal and I'm going to eat well. Those decisions are made from a top-down processing. Bottom-up is the stuff coming in from your emotions, from your environment, from your experience of your senses. And that feeds that limbic system and it feeds that reptilian part of your brain that helps you make decisions. And that bottom up processing kicks into high gear when you have met your threshold. So here's where I think it becomes important. When I'm looking at why I self-sabotage, I have to look at how much am I satelliting other people? How much am I taking care of other people's crap? And how much of it am I probably supposed to push back on them or support them in stepping up into their own support role to take care of themselves, their own greatness, their own responsibility? Heck, kids, your own dishes and laundry, whatever it may be. The other side of it is how much outward energy am I expending and how much am I getting back? And that should be an equal measure or at least darn close often. And how much energy do I need to draw back to myself by not taking care of everybody else's crap? And then to recognize my threshold and to maybe simplify the number of things that I feel responsible for, which brings me to a really big part of my conversation with Michelle this week. So Michelle's a business owner and she has a very busy business, loves it. It's a family business, but she's the one that runs it and she has employees. And we started talking about, you know, where this willpower gap, what happens? And my question to her is, who in your life do you tiptoe around, bubble wrap, avoid, 
placate, change things around so you can accommodate their discomfort because their discomfort makes you uncomfortable. Or you do their job for them because they're too much trouble to take care of it. And you know, it's easier for you to just do it rather than hold them accountable for the job you expected them to do. And that job can be family. That could be a lot of different things. And she said, oh my gosh, I have somebody at work that has worked for us for a while and they have a particular role, but they do a couple different things. So they dig into other people's role because they're kind of a busybody and they want to know what's going on. And they're a gossiper and they're another thing. And she said, we've even rearranged the office to try and rearrange where this person sits so all the rest of us are not uncomfortable and particularly me. And a lot of times I'm doing her job because I don't want to deal with her. And I said, wow, gosh, right? So that may be a work scenario, but I know right now your gears should be turning because there are people in your life you're doing this for. And you know, while I'm having this conversation with her, I'm thinking about that within my own life. Where are parts that I'm sort of just swooping in and sort of taking over rather than going, hey, hold on a minute. This is a role you're supposed to do. I appreciate that it's uncomfortable for you, but this is what I need you to do. So we have to think about who am I tiptoeing around? Who am I bubble wrapping? Who am I handling for them that I need to hold responsible in a loving and meaningful way to do the things that they need to do or to take care of themselves or to bring their energy back and to take responsibility? So the question is, is what is it that needs to be said that isn't being said? What conversations are we needing to have that we're not having? Because the other thing that chews up your willpower is the stuff you worry about, problem solve, extrapolate, stress over, freak out about, cry about, whatever it is. What we worry about are the things we tolerate that we shouldn't be tolerating. We need to learn to use and maximize and leverage our intolerance. So this is a profound thing. We worry about what we tolerate. So the things you sit at night about and you worry about are things that you know, in most cases, you need to do something about that you aren't doing because maybe it's a tough conversation or maybe it's a decision that you need to make that may change a lot of things in your life and your family and other stuff. There is something that you're tolerating that you worry about. So imagine how many times those things circulate in your brain and how much that chews up your willpower and decision-making capacity. So we all have that. As I'm having these conversations with Michelle, I'm thinking in my head and I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I have all these other things, even though I'm very aware of this research and what it means that I'm also very much in tune with, I always have work to do on that. When I'm covering up and not stepping into my truth like that, that's when we say, forget about it. That's when the limbic system kicks in, the bottom-up processing starts driving your decision-making. And by the end of that evening, you've had a half a bottle of wine an entire chocolate bar, you had French fries that you picked up in the drive-thru, and you've been on Instagram for three hours, whatever that story may be for you, right? So when we self-sabotage, it is a layering of these effects. It's a layering of these options. It's a layering of this stuff. In order for us to unwind it, we have to start looking at what deprivation, tolerating of crap am I doing? What shouldn't I be satelliting? What is it that I need to be receiving rather than giving all the time? And how can I really handle it? So one of the things that I love, it was a Harvard Business Review article from the 1990s. And it was a story about a middle manager. And the middle manager was struggling every day with sort of managing their team and you know getting conflicting responsibilities from the executives above and trying to execute it down and keep his staff happy at the same time. And 
what would happen is that on Friday, everybody would be getting kind of ready for the end of the day and all of his employees would sort of rotate into the room. And all of a sudden, he'd be working on the weekend, taking care of things that the employees couldn't handle. So it could be something as simple as, hey, I tried to take care of this problem. I couldn't do it. It needs to be done by Monday. So the manager pipes up and says, oh, hey, Sue, no problem. I'll check on it, right? Another person walks in, they say, hey, you know, Steve, I'm struggling with this thing and I'm trying to get it out. I've been trying to talk to this client. The client's not happy. I just, I, I think I've done everything I could. Manager says, hey, no worries. I'll call your client and I'll smooth it over. So what this manager was doing every day is they were picking up that person's monkey from the circus, putting it on their shoulder, taking it home for the weekend to feed, eat, poop, clean up after to bring back on Monday. So how many monkeys are you picking up who are crapping on your shoulder, pulling your hair and eating your food that you need to hand back because it is not your circus, not your monkey. So how do you put all this in action? How do we go, okay, I have a monkey I've been picking up. Maybe I have a ton of monkeys. May I have an entire tribe of monkeys pulling my hair, crapping on my shoulder, eating my food and chattering in my hair and messing up my hair every day. So here's my idea and here's how I think about it. I think the first thing is, is what I would do while you're listening to this and maybe listen to it again, is get out a piece of paper and start looking at where are you satelliting? You know, where are things where you're expending energy that you probably don't need to? And I'm not saying don't help people. You know, gratitude and helping is where we feel love. What I'm saying is, is when you're doing it and you know you shouldn't be, i.e. like the PTA need you to cook a bunch of cupcakes for tomorrow and you know darn good and well you should have said no and you said yes, that would be one of them. The first thing I would do is sit down and, and write down a list of the things that I am satelliting that I don't need to do. The next thing I would think about is where's my outward energy? Where do I need to pull it back from? And what are maybe one or two things that I can do that can recharge my batteries so my bright light can shine? Because it's often some things that we know we should be doing for ourselves. And that may mean, you know, not calling somebody back, or that may mean saying no, because I need a few minutes to myself. What is it for you? Because it's different for everybody. Then I would try and figure out what's your natural threshold. Again, I worry almost more about the person that doesn't recognize they have one. When I was talking to Michelle, she was like, I don't have a threshold. I just keep going. And I was like, until your physical body can't, until your physical body has just taken a beating, just because you mentally, emotionally, and I would argue not spiritually, because you turn that part off, can pick up everything and carry everything for everybody else. The physical body will not be able to do that for so long. So how outward is your energy and where can you pull it back and start to recharge your batteries? And then where's your willpower gap? How many decisions are you making that maybe you don't need to, right? And that may be something as simple as cleaning up your closet and getting rid of half the stuff that you know you don't wear. Where can you simplify your decision-making? And I think the most important one is this last conversation, not my monkey, not my circus. How many places in your life do you need to have real conversations, holding people responsible with love and affection and helping them take back their power and give back the things that help them. Because here's the thing, when you fill in and fill in for somebody else, you rob them of the capacity to grow in that arena. So you're actually robbing them of a growth opportunity or a, an opportunity to, to step into their power or to turn on their light a little brighter. So where do you need to stop bubble wrapping people? This right here is a lifetime 
maybe multiple lifetimes process, right? Like I said, when I was talking to Michelle, I was going, oh my gosh, I have all these areas that I thought I was handling my tolerance of things. But if I go to bed and I'm laying there in bed and something's mulling in my head, that means I'm tolerating something that I need to do something about. So what am I tolerating that I need to do something about so I can quit worrying about it so I can stop using up my willpower so my decisions to take better care of myself no longer become a quest of willpower. They become a thing that feeds what I want for my physical body, my mental body, my emotional state, my relationship, the love for myself, because it becomes a greater chore when I've got the big backpack on and I'm taking care of everybody else's stuff. Making good decisions and taking care of yourself and helping your body really repair and heal becomes an act of love when I'm not expanding and using my energy for somebody else. So with that, I want to leave those, just those thoughts with you and give me some feedback. Let me know what you think. Comment, review, share. If you got anything out of this podcast, I'd love for you to share it with friends and family. I love to share what I have with the world. And I hope this was helpful for you. And we'll see each other next time on This Functional Life. Thank you so much for tuning into This Functional Life. You are why I'm here and I am so very grateful. You're here for a reason. I celebrate your commitment to claiming your youthful energy and stepping into this next phase of life, feeling vibrant, healthy, and powerful. I am so proud of you. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD. And if you want a chance to share your story with our tribe or find out more about working with my team, you can sign up at chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. Again, that's chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. See you next week. Bye-bye.